say the game is getting old. Monday morning and your coffee's cold. Life is not what you wanted to Hello everyone and welcome to A New Direction. My name is Jay Izzo and oh man, we have a great show. I am telling you, this book, I love this book. This book is called Unlearning Anxiety and Depression, the four-step self-coaching program to reclaim your life. Dr. Joe Luciani is with us, and oh man, this is such a good book. This is such a great, great book. You are going to absolutely love it. Here's the deal. Let me just give you the deal on this here, all right? Here's the deal. It, I know that there are some of you out there who really like your anxiety and depression. The fact of the matter is you enjoy it. Because you know why you enjoy it? Because you like the attention you get from your anxiety and depression. Because you think you're controlling the world. You think that's what you got to do, right? I got to have a little anxiety, a little depression. I got to have the attention, right? Well, listen, you don't have to listen to this show if you want to hold on to your anxiety and depression. Because here's what's going to happen. He's going to fix it. <laughs> yeah. So here's the deal, right? So if you, if you want to hold on to your anxiety, anxiety and depression, then by all means, feel free to leave the show. It's, it's up to you. But if you really do want to have a truly self-coaching, mind talk, habit loop destruction, self-trusting, amazing life, right? If you're ready for that, then you're ready for the show. Because Dr. Joe is going to blow the doors off of you. Uh, unlearning anxiety and depression. But before we get to him, let's do what we do every week. And you know what that is, right? I talk to you about how your training is going in the four areas of your life, right? I believe we're four-part people. We're physical people, we're mental people, we're emotional people, and we're spiritual people, right? And as I talk to you all the time, you know what? We're only as good as our training, you know, in, in all four areas of our life. Because when we're exhausted and when we're under pressure and we're under stress, the fact of the matter is the only thing you have left to rely on is your training. So I'm going to ask you on a scale of one to 10, everybody out there, one being you're just, your training just is terrible. And then 10 is, you know what, my training is excellent. Does, couldn't hardly get any better. I'm going to ask you in each four areas of your life how you're doing in your training. So let's talk physically. How's your training going physically on that scale of one to ten? Are you are you working out? Are you eating right? Are you drinking enough water? Are you getting enough sleep? How would you say your training's going? Right? Right? On that scale of one to ten. And then you gotta ask yourself a question, whatever that number is. And by the way, I'm not judging you on your number. The question is, whatever that number is, what do you have to do to take it to the next number? Right? I mean, what is it gonna take for you to take your training up another level to get that done, right? It, you got to stop the excuses. You know, maybe you got to stop an excuse. Maybe maybe the, you have an excuse going, well, Jay, the gyms aren't open and I can't, stop it. Come on. Listen, you can find buckets of water, fill them halfway up, start doing curls. There's just a, you know what? Get yourself a couple cinder blocks for $1.65 a piece, all right? And start lifting those and carrying those around. There's just... You don't have to have a gym to exercise, all right? Here's, here's an idea. Take a walk. There's an idea. You can actually walk, but you can get more sleep. You can eat better. You can make better choices with your food. There's a lot of things to do. So what can you do to increase your training? I know there's something that you can do. All right, so there's your first number, all right? Second number, mentally. You know what? What are you consuming that's helping you grow? 
whether that's personally, professionally, you know, what are you consuming? What are you reading? I, you know, listen, books like uh, Unlearning, Anxiety and Depression are, even if you feel like you don't have it, are healthy books to help you grow in wisdom, knowledge, and understanding in your life. Okay? That's the truth. Right? So, you know, stop letting things come at you. Be intentional about consuming things that help you grow. So if you were to tell me about your training and consuming things that are helping you grow mentally, what number would you give me between that scale one to ten? Right? And considering that there's two halves of your brain, right, and we have a tendency to look at the right side of our brain as being a little bit more creative and the left side of our brain as being more logical, how well are you, you know, doing a crossover and not just relying on your corpus callosum to connect those two things together? How well are you doing in terms of feeding both halves of those brains? Right? What number would you give yourself in your training? All right, so you got two numbers, right, physically and mentally. And then there's the emotional side, right? And what I mean by emotional, well, here's the thing about, about emotional intelligence. Sometimes we call it emotional intelligence. Sometimes you'll hear emotional um, quotients, right? I'm going to just really s- simplify uh, this really, really, really uh, easy. How well are you able to control your emotions under stress? All right. And then the second part is how are you able to um, tap into the emotions of others and really understand them? Right, because I mean, really, really, when it comes down to it, there's two things, right? One is how well can I, how well can I control my emotions, right? And then the other part is, you know, how well can I, how well can I actually tap in and understand the emotions of others? Where's my empathy at, right? And that, that kind of, I think if you can simplify it down that way, I think that what happens is, you know, you have a pretty good idea of how well you're training yourself, you know. You sometimes, in order for us to do that, we have to put ourselves in stressful situations so that we can learn to control our own emotions. I don't have to feel this, right? I, I, the biggest mistake that we make is we don't believe that we have control over our emotions. We believe that our emotions just kind of control us. That's so not true. You, you, can, you don't have to feel what you're feeling right now. You actually do have a choice. I, as I was teaching my young psychology students years ago, I was, I was in college, I was teaching them, you know what, if you kicked me in the shin... I do not have one response. I have available to me a myriad of responses that I can choose to make on how I feel about what you just did to me. And we're all 100% responsible, not just for how for what we say and what we do, but we're also 100% responsible for how we react to whatever someone says or does to us. Right? That's emotional control. How well is your training going? Emotionally. So you got three numbers, physically, mentally, emotionally. And then finally, spiritually. Right? And a lot of people, you know, kind of, yeah, well, what do you mean by that? Well, listen, if you remove the physical, mental, and emotional, moved all that, and whatever you have left, you pretty much have the spiritual world. Right? We really do if we remove all that. It's really pretty simple for me. Right? There's, a, there's an old saying that goes something like this. Being spiritual is not going to church and thinking about kayaking. Being spiritual is kayaking and thinking about God right? 
But really what it is, is whatever it is for you is where do you get your center, your sense of peace, your sense of joy. I didn't say happiness. I said sense of joy where you feel like you're back to center. For some people, it's nature. For some people, it is God. For some people, it's meditation. For some people, it could be a variety of other things. Whatever that is for you, how is it working? How is your training going with it? How is it affecting your life? Is it giving you what you want it to give you? If not, what do you need to do to change it? Right? So you got four numbers, right? And the four numbers are like the legs of a chair. If they're out of balance, you know what happens? It just destroys your posture. By the same token, if they're too low, you know what? It's really, really difficult for us to sit in a low chair and try to eat at a normal-sized table. So the whole idea is to be in balance, bring your legs up together, and at the same time, you know what? Bring it up to the right height. And speaking of someone who could have just run circles about everything I just talked about, his name is uh, Dr. Joseph J. Luciani, right? He, he calls it Luciani, right? I, it's, it's me and my formal Italian. But do you know he runs four New York City marathons, hunts dinosaur bones in Wyoming, practices yoga and meditations? Dr. Joe, I'm going to call him Dr. Joe, right? He lives, he lives the life he wants, but it wasn't always that way for him. He's had years of struggle with anxiety, self-doubt that led to a career in psychology, which, by the way, all of us psychological professionals seem to have tried to figure out our own dysfunction with hope of finding relief. And that relief came with the discovery that anxiety and depression, if treated as habits rather than as mental illnesses, can be dealt with simply and directly without endlessly having to dissect the whys of the past. As with someone trying to quit smoking, you don't have to know why you took the first cigarette. simply need to get rid of it, right? So Dr. Joe's been practicing clinical psychology for more than 35 years, uh, although he looks like he just got out of graduate school. He's the intentional, internationally best-selling author of the self-coaching series of books published in nine languages. He says to me that this is his swan song. I don't believe him. He's written articles, and because you know what? In his book, he keeps telling me he's not going to tell me another story, and he keeps telling me another story. So I, I'm just not going to buy into that. He's written articles and been featured in numerous national magazines and newspapers, including... Um, Oh, the Oprah Magazine, Red Book, USA Today, Fitness, Health, Shape, and Body and Soul, and he appears frequently on national TV, radio, and the internet. His veil, his books are going to be available everywhere. Bookstores, the books are sold, and especially on Amazon. So listen, would you please welcome to show everyone, Dr. Joe Luciani, and Dr. Joe, welcome to A New Direction. Jay, thank you. It's my privilege to be here, especially with all that energy you bring to the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I hand select every book, right? And I probably turn down more books than I actually select. And I choose them because on some level, every book has to excite me because I believe it's going to be exciting for the listener. And we're in 60 countries around the world. And I, I, I know that I'm very intentional about these books. And so... I am really excited when I get a book that speaks to me, and your book uh, just really spoke to me in a very deep way. Because, like you, I've had to deal with my own anxiety and depression uh, during the course of my life, and uh, have had to, you know, I've done therapy, I've done all sorts of things. But the truth of the matter is, I finally had to tell the voices that were trying to talk me into or out of stuff to shut up. And take control of it, right? And and that's kind of the premise of the book, isn't it? That's it. Shut up and take control. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know what? I just want to I want to mention earlier uh, when you when you when we first started, I was listening to you, and you said that, that people that cling to their anxieties and depression, 
uh, I have often seen maybe a good percentage of people that come into my office as patients that a lot of people don't don't want to get better. That they really want to become better neurotics. You know, it's like it's like the worry board. You know, they don't want to stop worrying. They want to guarantee. To which I say, buy a toaster. You know. Yeah, I, I, so. it's true. It really, it really is true. You, I mean, sometimes we kind of like our own crud. You know, you know, it, there's a superstitiousness to worrying. Like, how many times have I said to someone who's worrying about, well, what would the results of that test be? Or what if I get COVID? Or uh, the what if, what if, what if? And and I say, and we talk about ways to stop worrying. And one of the typical responses I get, yeah, but if if I stop worrying, something bad's going to happen. Right. It's almost as if worrying is an insulation. It's it's a kind of uh, way to protect yourself from bad things. It's, it's no different from knocking on wood or anything else. But we cling to to worrying, which certainly underscores anxiety and depression, as if as if it's uh, something that really is going to help us uh, as things come around that corner. Yeah, we kind of we kind of have the superstitious uh, behavior attached to sometimes some of our anxiety or worry right where we go you know that whole superstition of well if i don't worry about it then for sure something bad's going to happen and we get so it's really odd even the most non-superstitious or unsuperstitious what is it un or non even the most non-superstitious person i know of will who will worry will say but if i don't worry about it Chances are something bad's going to really happen. Yeah, and it takes them out. And you talk about it, it takes them out of the present. Absolutely, I call it time traveling. You know, the person that that worries is has left the present, and they are in the future in terms of what will happen uh, tomorrow or whatever. Uh, Mark Twain said, "I've worried about many things in my life, most of which have never happened." But when we worry, we're worrying about tomorrow. And that is what I call an emotional fiction, because tomorrow doesn't exist in the moment. Uh, yeah, we like to prepare. We, we, we have seatbelts. We take vitamins. We do things to protect ourselves, to anticipate. I mean, let's face it. Our species wouldn't be here today if we didn't have some anticipatory mechanism. But worry takes anticipation to a point of emotional insecurity kind of contamination, and that's where it becomes toxic. Then we start, you know, getting into the ruminative doubts, fears, and negativities, and and that's where it leads to, of course, uh, the suffering and the struggle of uh, anxiety and depression. Uh, We're talking with Dr. Joseph Luciani. His book is entitled Unlearning Anxiety and Depression, uh, the four-step self-coaching program to reclaim your life. Absolutely a brilliant book. I'm telling you, please, people, listen. If you're tired of anxiety and depression and you're tired of living with the voices and the things that that you think seem to crop out of nowhere, the fact of the matter is this book is just brilliant and his methodology is absolutely impeccable. And the book can be purchased anywhere, Amazon, bookstores near you. If they don't have it, tell them to get it. Tell them to face it out. It's really that great of a book. I can't be more sincere about that. So let, let's let's talk about how we get here to this unlearning process. Because I, as I'm reading the book, one of the things that struck me was I was reading, I thought, every possible, when the book started, every possible objection to why your methodology wouldn't work. 
that was kind of how I listened listen to the book, right? So the first thing you say, right, is like static brain, plastic brain, and you ask the question. And because I can hear somebody sitting in front of you in your office, right, and, and saying, Doc, my brain cannot be retrained. <laughs> there is no way that you could tell me that this brain, the brain is the brain, Doc. It can't be retrained. What do you say to that? I, I almost invariably uh, refer to a study that got me hooked on this thing called neuroplasticity, which is the brain's ability to change. Uh, and the study took place in England with the black cab drivers, the, those black little cabs that go around. In order to become a black cab driver, you have to pass a test where you memorize something like 20,000 addresses and landmarks, and it's, it's about a two-year process. So these people, the, the cab drivers, once they passed, uh, they had a, 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 an MRI of their brains. And this, this was the initiation of the study. After uh, two years of driving, they, they redid the, the MRI, and they found that the hippocampus and the navigation center in the brain had grown significantly. But what's really interesting is they compared it to bus drivers who drive the same route every day, no change in the hippocampus. So we see from that and many, many, many experiments that the brain really does change through practice, tenacious learning and effort. It's, it would be like playing an instrument. Your brain changes as you learn that instrument. So what I try to tell people is that the reason the psychology uh, of neuroplasticity is so important because if you are a victim of your own anxiety or depression, you're connected to a habit loop that just keeps going on and on. That's where the brain has molded itself. So we need to neutralize that and replace it and learn. Uh, we need to learn a new and more productive habit and lifestyle. And that's where the term unlearning came from, because in order to be anxious or depressed, you had to first learn it mm. uh, in order to unlearn it. And I know it's it's uh, rather heretical to think of anxiety and depression as habits, but that's exactly what I do. Well, I the the, the I don't want to say argument. I hate using that word because that just sounds so wrong. But I but I'm going to say it anyway because I can't think of a better word right now. But the argument that you make and that you set up really does suggest really, really clearly, not just suggest. I mean, and I, because I came from a world of experimental psychology, I don't like using the word prove, but it clearly demonstrates. How about that? It clearly <laughs> demonstrates that when we put all these pieces together in terms of our brain's plasticity, the fact that uh, learning does in fact change. You talk about the study, I think, was this the Eric Cannell study who won the Nobel Prize for discovering learning actually what we learn actually changes our brain chemistry or brain structure actually and that when you start putting all these pieces together it becomes pretty clear that the fact is we kind of run into these habits because as you talk about it in the book it makes us more efficient and our brain loves efficiency and so now we've got these habits that we've created bad or good and so if we've learned something, I love what you, this is so simple, but it's so elegant. If we've learned it, well, then we can unlearn it. <laughs> That's what I can you imagine if you had to learn to retie your, how to retie your shoe every day or just even how to button a shirt or a blouse? Right. I mean, the, the things that have become habituated, you know, if, if we weren't uh, creatures of habit, 
Um, I, I would venture to say that we would have been eaten up by a saber tooth a long, long time ago. <laughs> well, you you do make it you make it really clear in the book that you know our brain is you know bent on survival, right? Mm-hmm. We're just trying we're just trying to survive. You know, and whether we want to go old brain, you know, amygdala, hippocampus, hypothalamus, whether we want to go inside there or, you know, just even just the fact that our frontal lobe is trying to just process something to keep us surviving. I mean, the fact of the matter is, right? I mean, that's kind of the basic nature of what our brain and body does. Yeah. Well, in any given situation, it's all about survival on any on many different levels. <clears throat> survival in a conversation, survival mm. listening to Jay Izzo, survival, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, but, <laughs> that was well done, but, though, by the way. I love that. That's awesome. But, but basically what happens is that we, Carl Jung, the Swiss psychiatrist, once said that the ego is this tiny island in this vast ocean of potentiality. And we tend to think of the ego, that consciousness, that, that frontal lobe capacity, what we think, we tend to think of that as as the supreme commander of of everything that we are. But there's so much more to us. Just take for example, if you're if you're driving along in a car and someone hits the brakes, if you had to cognitively cognitively ask yourself, should I hit the brake or should I turn the wheel? Bam, you'd be smashed into that car. We have this reflexive kind of they call it the old uh, limbic system or the uh, uh, the what's the brain called the um, Oh, I can't remember, but no, some, something like the lizard brain. Lizard it. brain. Lizard, yeah, 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 so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have these primitive uh, parts of us that react, you know, cortisol, adrenaline, boom, boom, we react. And it's, it's, not, it's a non-thinking response. Right. And that's what protects us in that given moment, the fight, flight, freeze. And, and I have a, a fourth to add to that, fight, flight, freeze, and I say fester which is where the neurotics lie. We, we fester and we ruminate and we think about it and then we act. But we, are, we have many survival attributes that work in unison, uh, sometimes independently in an emergency situation and sometimes when we're trying to deal with less than, than trauma, traumatic situations. Uh, we are very sophisticated survival machines. It always, always impresses me. His name is Dr. Uh, Joseph Luciani. Uh, the book is entitled Unlearning Anxiety and Depression, the four-step self-coaching program to reclaim your life. And you're listening to him here on A New Direction. Hey, folks, New Direction has two great sponsors, and we love them dearly because they financially support the show, and um, it's just been, they're fantastic. And I mean that because I have used them both, and I'm just, I can't be more excited about having them. One is Epic Physical Therapy. Listen, I, I go there, uh, I'm, I'm active, I work out regularly, and you know what, I get injured from time to time. And some injuries are more serious than others. Uh, some are just nagging aches and pains. Sometimes I need a little extra work on some of my skill sets. You know, maybe I need a little core work or, you know, maybe I need, you know, maybe I need to just get some treatment, right? Just because, you know, I'm older. And as I get older, I notice that my body does not you know, respond the way it used to. So sometimes they just need a little extra treatment. Well, listen, it doesn't matter what you're recovering from, whether it's injury, surgery, if it's the everyday aches and pains, whether it's performing activities of daily life, maybe you're a professional athlete. Look, they treat them too. Look, if you're just looking to even improve, you can go there, right? The elite team at Epic Physical Therapy will provide you with a customized treatment plan tailored to you, period. 
and what you need. Listen, with their experience in rehabbing young athletes to elite professional athletes, they really do understand the need to treat the entire body as a functional whole, not just your symptoms or your injury. So if you're ready for your epic relief, your epic recovery, and your epic results, don't go anywhere else. Start with epic physical therapy. You can learn more by going to epicpt.com. That's E-P-I-C. PT.com. And Linda Craft and Team Realtors, no matter where you're at in the world, you know what? They can help you sell your home or buy your home by connecting you with the best professional possible in your area. And you say, how can they do that? Well, it's because they're independently owned and operated and they do uh, do not belong to any national brand. They are their own brand. And for the last 35 years, they have developed relationships with the top professionals, the top experts in real estate all over the world, not just the U.S., literally all over the world. And the reason why they developed it is because they, they're a relationship-driven real estate firm. That's how they started their company in 1985. That's how Linda started it, and that's how she continues to run her company, is for 35 years we're going to develop one relationship at a time, whether that is with the person or with a, a real estate professional, whoever it is. And you know what the clients of Linda Craft and team say about them? They say that their customer service is legendary. They don't say it. It's their clients who do. So when you're ready for legendary customer service and you want the relationship realtor, right, then talk to the folks at Linda Craft and Team Realtors. And you can learn more by going to lindacraft.com. That's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T dot com. And we're back here on A New Direction with uh, Dr. Joseph uh, Luciani and uh, his book, Unlearning Anxiety and Depression, it's fabulous, and we're just kind of digging through, kind of giving you the uh, a little bit of the background into the book, and um, I'm going to jump, we're still kind of, I don't know if we're chapter one or two right now, but I want to talk about three things because these three things kind of, kind of mold together, and it's psychology, coaching, and neuroplasticity because... The crux of the book is self-coaching, and we've already talked a little bit about neuroplasticity, but I thought this was really interesting. You said psychology is considered a social science, neuroplasticity is considered a biological science, and self-coaching is a simple motivational science. And you're going to try to put these all together. Can you kind of work us through some of that? Sure. The One of the things that really bothered me when I started as a psychologist was that uh, I, I, I had traditional training. In fact, I went to the Jungian Institute and had my 10 years of training analysis. So I was, I was formally trained, and it was wonderful. You know, it's so exciting, the collective unconscious archetypes. It's, it's all, all that stuff is really wonderful, and I was using that in my, uh, my practice. Uh, and it, people, they, they loved it. They, 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 they thought it was wonderful, too, but no one was getting better. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, we're having a good time here, but uh, you're paying me for this. So uh, so I, I started to become more eclectic, and I was looking more for a way to interact directly and to get results, to be honest. I wanted, I was impatient. Maybe it's my ADD personality, but I wanted results. Uh, and I, I'm, I did not get any uh, uh, kickback from that. Everyone wanted results, so we had no problem. But the way I, I went forward was to realize that I had to be me and I had to engage in a legitimate conversation. I needed to inspire uh, depressed people. I needed to motivate them. 
I needed to keep people in the game. I needed them to leave therapy and go home and do things and practice things and not just rely on me. You know, there's a real a real cancer involved in, in being a, a therapist or a helping professional in that a dependency invariably develops where people become somewhat infantilized and, and take less and less responsibility. Well, I have my therapy next Thursday. I'll wait till I go and, and discuss it with the doc. So I, I started to rebel against that. And I started to try to find those things that seemed to click and work for me. And those were the three pillars of uh, the unlearning process. So uh, with cognitive uh, behavioral psychology, uh, I knew we had to start reframing the way we think. And, and I knew that uh, because insecurity distorts our thoughts and perceptions, it was very important to make that clear and to clarify reality or facts from emotional fictions, that choice alone. And if we get into mind talk, I'll be glad to go deeper into that. So the cognitive was, was a, a really a definite part or beginning place for me to start. The neuroplasticity came later. I used to tell patients long before I ever heard the word neuroplasticity, you have to treat every thought as if it's this minute chemical change that's going to take place in your brain. Uh, because I felt that if, if people would just see thoughts, not simply as this ethereal, emotional thing, but, but as a really tiny, small bit of chemical energy that you produce, and that energy is either positive or negative, but you're actually putting these small thought chemicals into your brain. Now, it's the cumulative effect. One thought isn't going to change your brain. But over time, the cumulative effect of a lot of toxic thoughts begin to have a toxic formative effect in the brain. And then I got more involved in neuroplasticity and realized that's exactly what happens. We're actually changing the neural pathways in our brain, the habits, the habit loops in our brain uh, by the thoughts that we have. So it is the aggregate amount of thoughts, whether they lean positive or negative, that changes us in, in those directions. And then came the motivational part. And that came was what I call the self-coaching part. That came from trying to help a cousin of mine who had just lost his business, which was a restaurant, his home, which was above the restaurant, and 40000 k in cash that he had in the wall. And uh, he was really anxious when I got to talk to him. He was on five medications. But what it did for me, he wasn't a patient. He was a cousin. And I was able to unleash a lot of confrontational kind of, in, you know, in your face kind of, you got to do this and blah, 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 blah. It, it was an, 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 an a, maybe for me, it was an epiphany to realize that sometimes people really need you as a therapist to really be a coach, a motivator, someone that doesn't accept passivity, someone that doesn't accept, quote unquote, mental illness, mm. someone who says you can do this and then provide a format for that. So by combining cognitive behavioral psychology with neuroplasticity and motivational self-coaching, that trifecta has worked wonders for me and for my practice over 40 years now. Well, it was interesting because the, the, the piece, by the way, we're talking with uh, Dr. Joseph Luciani, um, uh, Unlearning Anxiety and Depression, the four-step self-coaching program to reclaim your life. And uh, we're getting a little bit of background um, before we get into the some of the nuts and bolts of this. But one of the things, there was two life incidences that I found that you had that I thought were very, very uh, important 
I think one, of course, was the cousin when you when you finally said, I mean, I, you could almost hear your frustration in the book when you said, you know what? Stop thinking of me if somebody's got all the answers. Think of me as a coach. And I thought that was a huge moment. But then I'll tell you the other moment that you had is when you went to the psychoanalyst. <laughs> and, and right. And, you know, you're working on your own stuff and you go to the psychoanalyst. And I thought this was a big moment because I think it's kind of, in my mind, it seemed like, okay, well, this is why that, you know, the what is more important than the why. Do you want to tell that story? Sure. I, um, I, because as you mentioned earlier, because of my own anxiety and struggle, uh, I, I really felt that a, a career in psychology would provide answers. And along with that, I said, well, you know, let's, let's get started. Uh, and when I was going through just, just after graduate work, I'm sorry, just before graduate work, the gold standard was Freudian analysis. So I found a local Freudian analyst and I started going to, to psychoanalysis. He wanted me to go five days a week. I can only afford one. And uh, so we, we made, we negotiated a kind of therapy. He never, he never really talked. Uh, so I would sit and pre-associate, you know, what color is the rug? Is yellow? <laughs> yes. And it's, it's wonderful. And, <clears throat> and then one day uh, I had a dream and in the dream, there was a bug on the back of my, my leg, just behind the knee. And he finally said something. He said, Ah, you want to have sex with your mother. And I'm sitting there thinking, finally, an opinion. You know, <laughs> as my, and, but I knew I had to get out of there. But long story short, I, I went off to graduate school in California. He did not want me to go. He said, you're not going to be able to handle this. You've got mm. much too much anxiety. Mm. I, I needed to do this. I went. And I went with this noose around my neck. I went with this, this terrible weight on my shoulders. I'm going to explode. I'm a time bomb. You know, he's my analyst. He knows me better than I know me. Right. So a month goes by, six months go by, no explosion. Right. I get a letter from him saying my his analyst, my analyst said I needed to write you and apologize for my counter transference. <laughs> I mean, as I say in the book, if I, if I, I hope I never run into him on the street. You know, it's a Jersey thing. Right. But, uh, but he, that that could have ruined my entire life. I, I'm so glad that I, I stuck to my intuition. And I should mention that the one thing I cherish, cherish most about me is my intuitive capacity. Uh, I'm an impatient person. I like to go from A to Z. But I also have honed those antenna over the years. And that with uh, intuition has really served me quite well. You know, the reason why that story... I think is so critical is be, and 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 it is your intuition because your intuition is also all over this book but I think the reason why that that story was so important is because so often when those of us who have dealt with our own anxiety or who are dealing with anxiety or dealing with depression or have dealt with depression so frequently we want to think that therapy is the golden ticket mm-hmm. and that somehow that the therapist has some sort of magical answer that's going to solve the problem. And I I think the thing to me about your book that speaks, just spoke volumes and like was just shouting at me as I was reading it is literally when you said, you know what, you need to think of a brick wall. 
you you don't have to examine every single brick on the brick wall to say, oh, that's a brick wall. <laughs> and 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 you and I think what happens is there's this paralysis by analysis. I know you didn't say that exactly in those terms, and I am I'm paraphrasing here. But sometimes we get paralyzed by trying to find the why, don't we? Absolutely. Yeah, that that's such a crippling long-term, lifelong effort. Because you know you, you can always keep splitting the atom. The you know, now we know we can get say, into these uh, oh, quarks and all these wall. subatomic particles. But, it, and, but it's the same with the psyche. And, and, I mean, you go back, and this is what I did in that psychoanalysis. I went back, and you know, you go as far back as you can, then you come up a few notches, and oh, what did Uncle Louis say, and how did you react? So it drives you crazy, but you keep thinking, as you say, that you're going to find this pot of gold. That once you find that, aha, that's why that it's going to set you free. And I tell people the truth is not going to set you free. You know, the truth is wonderful and it could help amplify what you need to do. But in order to get to a state where you are unlearning anxiety and depression, no book in the world, no therapist in the world is going to do that work for you. And the reason being is because it's like a musical instrument. You could tell me, okay, this is what uh, uh, Mozart sounds like, and you could hum a tune. But that's not going to get me to go home and play Mozart on the piano. I have to tell people that getting away from anxiety and depression is absolutely doable. But there is a but. And the but is you need a format. You need a plan to follow. And, and this is the crucial part that a lot of people just don't want to hear. And you must practice this every single day. We're talking about breaking habits. You're not, as, as you said earlier on, you're not going to break any habit, much a cigarette habit or a habit of biting your nails, unless you work at it continually over time. And if you're willing to apply yourself to the practice, and again, you need a format. You can't just practice without knowing what you're doing. But with the insights and the format for doing something about these problems and with the practice, if you do that, you will find the way towards that clarity. Uh, we're talking to Dr. Joseph Luciani and his book, Unlearning Anxiety and Depression. And we're kind of just getting started here a little bit. And we're kind of working our way to, you know, some of the, probably some of the I don't know. I, I don't know if I want to call them complaints. I, I think it's more of objections that some people have when they when they hear the word self-coaching and that I could be self-coached and that through this and and so often, you know, Dr. Joe, what happens is people will say things like, well, I, you know, you're expecting me to just get through my own anxiety on my own or my own depression on my own. You, you clearly don't have a clue uh, I mean, I can hear him saying this, right? You clearly do not understand depression if you're telling me that I am not going to get, you know, that I, I can I can actually control my own depression. And but the truth of the matter is, you set this up to say, look, you you can you know what you can change your brain. You are what you kind of believe. Let, let's talk about depression for just a little bit because it does fall on a continuum. And mm-hmm. you talk about one end is mild, and then you know then there's life altering distress. You know, so are we talking, when we talk depression in terms of this book, what depression, you know, let's talk about what depression are we talking about? Well, I would say any self-help book is probably more geared towards mild to moderate. With severe depression, uh, I really think that medication is appropriate. I call it a therapy facilitator. 
Um, the the significance in terms of the brain balance, the imbalance is 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 really proportionate from mild to severe. Um, but in terms of a self-help program, uh, I would say mild to moderate. Uh, a book like mine can be very useful for someone with severe depression along with their therapist or psychiatrist. Um, it's really a matter of putting everything into this. So if you need medication, uh, please stay on your medication, but realize that by learning what the motor is, by learning what generates, you know, it's like any habit, you're either feeding it or you're starving it. And if you don't know what you're doing that's feeding your depression, then of course the medication is holding you there. It's keeping that balance for you. If, if you think of a, uh, a bucket with your, your vital neurotransmitters in there, dopamine, norepinephrine, serotonin, and we poke holes in the bottom of that bucket through insecurity and distorted thinking, well, those chemicals are going to drip out. Too many holes, the faster it drips out. So your, your natural balance, your body, your homeostatic processes cannot be maintained, and the, body, the mind becomes imbalanced chemically. Those are that, that is what happens chemically with anxiety and depression. You create imbalances. The more severe the imbalance, the more distress one feels. So what self-coaching uh, does, uh, or what I try to do through coaching people through this program, is to get them to plug up those holes, what feeds, what starves. Once you know what you're doing that is actually exacerbating and feeding your problems, then you begin the process of plugging up those holes, in which case the homeostatic process, the natural balancing process of the body is able to restore your natural resilience without the medication. Now, I can't say that for every person, uh, unlearning anxiety and depression is going to get you off medication. But I, I do feel very sincerely that by once you learn to stop feeding the depression, at the very least, you should be able to minimize, if not eventually come off the medication. We're talking with Dr. Joseph Luciani, and the book is called Unlearning Anxiety and Depression, and you're listening to him here on A New Direction. Hey, folks, New Direction, two sponsors, right? You hear me talking about them all the time because they're just absolutely fantastic sponsors, right? First is Epic Physical Therapy, right? Look, I go there. They've got two facilities now uh, in the Research Triangle Park area, and it's at, they're absolutely fantastic. Uh, they help athletes, though, from all over the world, literally. I, I, I have literally been on a training table with somebody who was an athlete in Europe getting treatment uh, right there at Epic Physical Therapy. I've been around hockey, professional hockey players. I have been around professional soccer players, baseball players, golfers that come in there to get their, literally, get their work done at Epic Physical Therapy, right? And they, 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 tr they come in, they fly in just so that they can be there. Look, here's why. They offer the most, one of the reasons why is they offer the most advanced top-of-the-line equipment, and everybody knows that, that things like the Alter-G anti-gravity treadmill, which takes pressure off your joints when you want to run. There's the Normatec compression sleeves, which are awesome. And then there's the Game Ready. My favorite, right? Little swelling happens, little icy, cold water and compression. Oh, man. Takes the swelling right away. That, that's just a few. But here's the other thing. They are trained and certified in the most comprehensive cutting-edge treatments available, including blood flow restriction therapy, dry needling, which I love dry needling, and cupping, which I have had done. Surprisingly, it really does work. I know the circles on your back 
and your bum can be a little bit weird, you know, but I got to tell you, it really does work because they manipulate the muscle through the skin. They're fantastic. So look, when you're ready for your epic relief and your epic recovery and your epic results, go to epicpt.com. That's E-P-I-C-P-T.com. And Linda Craft and Team Realtors. You know what? They may be world-renowned, but they are located at 7300 Six Forks Road in Raleigh, North Carolina. And they've been serving the Research Triangle Park, really serving the world for over 35 years, literally. And and you know what? Linda's very first customer, very first customer at 1985. You know what? They still come by and say hello to this day, to this day. It's because every relationship has been important right? And here's why it's important because she understands and she understood even back in the eighties when interest rates were like 18%. She really did understand that, you know what? The home is first of all, probably the most, the largest expense that you probably have personally. But more than that, it's that home that creates so many memories. We may forget the cost of the home, but we'll never forget the memories that we made in them. And she recognized that early on that you know, those memories are significant. And not only are they significant, but they're so important because it's where maybe you raised your first child. It's maybe where you went to your grandmother's house and you can still remember the smells and the pictures that you had. That Those things were the things that were most important. And so then it became that she wanted to create a business around the memories that were made in real estate. So we kind of think of her as the memory maker because she's not only about relationships, but she's a memory maker. And so that's why when people say her customer service is legendary, well, that's one of the reasons why. But you should find out for yourself. So why not go to lindacraft.com? That's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T.com. And we're back here on A New Direction with Dr. Joe Luciani and his book, Unlearning Anxiety and Depression. And uh, Dr. Joe, we're running into the third stretch of the, <laughs> of the show here. And uh, you you kind of beat me to the punch on some of these things, and, I, and I'm glad that you did, you know, because that just shuts me up. I just kind of let you go, you know, when you when you do stuff like that. Uh, but you you really did because I was going to talk about I was going to have you talk about some of the depression, and I was going to have to talk about some of the medication, and that medication can be important. But the one thing I really want to focus on, and and there seems to be a common theme between depression and anxiety, and we haven't given it really a we've kind of talked about it, but we haven't really focused in on it. And that is the importance of our insecurities when it comes to these two areas of depression and anxiety. And let's let's talk about insecurity and why it's such a powerful force when it comes to depression and anxiety. Okay. Well, first, first we understand that, or at least in my experience, I've never met someone without some insecurity. And the reason being is that no one grows up in a perfect world. No one has perfect parents. Everyone has had illness, separation, loss. So there is some degree of early insecurity that's inculcated into our experience. Um, that Another word for insecurity is a feeling of vulnerability. So because we feel insecure and vulnerable, and since, as we were talking earlier, we are survival machines, then the first thing we do is we want to compensate for our vulnerabilities. So how do we compensate? Well, we compensate a vulnerability by trying to control some aspect of life. If I'm vulnerable, how do I plug up the, the gaps and feel less vulnerable? Well, take, we were talking about worrying. Worrying is the quintessential coping kind of strategy 
uh, controlling strategy. We worry because we're trying to anticipate. We want to know what's coming before it happens. We want to be braced. We want to be ready. We don't want to be vulnerable. Avoidance, uh, compulsivity. There's lots of coping and controlling strategies. I call it a control juggle. And these are all born out of insecurity and feelings of vulnerability. So it starts with insecurity. We compensate insecurity and vulnerability by developing a control juggle, which is very personal. Some people will be wary warts. Other people will hunker down and, and be socially uh, awkward or even adverse. You know, there are many ways that we become controlling or our controlling juggle becomes part of our personality. So that's fine. And we go through life controlling. It's, it's not as easy as just flowing through life without a controlling juggle. But nevertheless, we try to control life because we're feeling insecure. But what happens over time is that the controlling juggle, think of a juggler, and we're juggling these balls of control, worrying, avoidance, compulsivity, that eventually lactic acid, mental lactic acid builds up. And what happens to a real juggler? Well, you would drop those balls. Mm. So when the control juggle begins to falter, that's when we start feeling out of control. That's when we start feeling most vulnerable. And that's usually when the onset of anxiety and depression kicks in. So both anxiety and depression are the result of the control juggle, controlling life, I should say over-controlling life, begins to falter and we're starting to feel more vulnerable. Anxiety, of course, because now we're revving up the engine. Well, what am I going to do? I've got to do something. And depression as a retreat from life to insulate ourselves from that loss of control. So my book is all about understanding the basis of insecurity being the foundational element in our struggle and then realizing that it is not to, to try to be more controlling of life, but to start learning to as we'll say, self-trust enough to to handle life as it as it occurs naturally and fluidly. So that's that's the essence of of the insecurity basis of my book. Well, I think the here's here's the thing. There's two things that I think that that come up when you we talk about insecurity. First of all, our childhood does play a part in that insecurity. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you're absolutely right. Nobody can say. Sometimes, sometimes we're in such denial, right? And denial, by the way, is my acronym for "don't even know I am lying." Okay, and <laughs> and uh, uh, that, and by the way, I owe my wife for that because she gave me that. But um, Love it. because she tells me I'm in denial quite a bit. Okay, anyway, that's another story. But the the the, <laughs> the, 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 tr- the truth of the matter is, though, that you know we often think that our childhoods were, oh, you know, my parents weren't bad; they weren't bad to me, and and they may not have been bad to you. And you, you talk about this in the book too. It's not that necessarily that your parents were bad, but you say something to the effect, but you may have not received the love that you needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are many loving parents who take, for example, a controlling mother, an over controlling mother or father um, to the child that feels like love. Don't do that. Don't touch that. You'll get hurt. Right. That feels like love because that parent is saying to that child, oh, you, you just need to be protected. Let me protect you. Right. Uh, so, you know, that that now adult might look back and say, of course, my parents loved me. They were so caring and they were right. so concerned. Meanwhile, that over controlling, what does it do to the child's psyche? Well, it says. 
this world must be a really dangerous place because you've got to be so vigilant or you're going to get gobbled up. So you see, these things do affect us. There are defective parenting techniques, of course. You know, there, there's abusive parenting. There's the indifferent parent who, who really can't love. There, there are many different types of defective parenting. But for the person who says, oh, I had this wonderful childhood. It was just, you know, without any problems. But they're sitting in the office with anxiety or depression, which leads me to say, well, Maybe uh, denial is part of this, and it may not be a conscious denial, of course, because, you know, you come to accept that this is the way it was, this was normal, and uh, we tend to then just see this as this is who I am and this is what I am. One of the things that you talk about is the inner, the inner and outer, I guess, uh, we, our inner and outer responses, uh, the inner and outer faces, I'm sorry, of anxiety and depression. Right, you talk that we have an inner expression, and then we have an outer expression, and then you go through several of these. But the truth of the matter is, all whether regardless, is it our inner expression? Let me rephrase that: Is it our inner expression that shows up outer, or are they are they do they are they separate entities? Do they come together? Yeah, I, I, I that's an important point. Uh, it all begins, I think, with the inner. I think that the insecurity sets us up to develop those coping strategies, uh, the controlling strategies. And uh, then from there, we tend to manifest that same intentionality to want to control or over control life uh, through kind of a compulsive behavior. So then our behaviors tend to complement the inner need for over controlling life and all at the expense uh, of our natural uh, kind of healthy psyche and all born out of insecurity. So yes, the, the interface is certainly that which is the worrisome uh, contemplative uh, insecurity. The outer face would be that compulsive reaction to that that tries to now bring that forward in an obsessive way into the world. By the way, we're talking with Joe, Dr. Joseph uh, Luciani and his book on learning anxiety and depression. And the, the reason I stumbled over that is because I'm about to bring up a subject matter that is, is one of those subject matters a lot of people don't want to talk about. And I, I think it's fun. I think it's a fun topic. And that is <laughs> chapter 10. I love the title. Say hello to your unconscious, right? <laughs> we this is a hard one, right? Because a lot of people don't, because we don't know what to do with the unconscious. I mean, we, I, I think most people think it exists. I think there's a lot of there's some people who want to deny the existence of the unconscious, which I that we don't. I don't really care whether you want. The fact of the matter is, it's a hard thing to explain, but it is an important messenger as you point out. So let's, let's just, let's just kind of, you know, talk about that. It does play a role in how we're about to gear up for mind talk. Unconscious it, it, by its very definition is unknowable since it is unconscious. Um, the, this is the, the, um, kind of the, the groundwater that's on, that, that is just running through our, our psychological existence. And it, it does affect us. I mean, anyone that's ever had a dream realizes, well, where does that come from? Uh, and certainly you, you didn't intend certain things to happen in that dream. They, they are more or less reflections of that unconscious world. Now, the unconscious uh, 
is is really uh, part of that insecurity domain and is very much affected by that as as other parts of the unconscious is by healthy things but the unconscious in a negative sense from the insecurity sense uh, will affect us indirectly so our thoughts we, we may not know why we we're having this this terrible kind of dark thought about uh, our neighbor uh, and where did that come from well, it percolated up from the unconscious, and now in consciousness, it seems somewhat alien to you because it wasn't something that you felt consciously. It wasn't something that, that you, it was something you may have even been shocked by. But nevertheless, uh, we have to reconcile ourselves with the fact that as long as we are living in opposition to our true nature, if we're allowing insecurity to shape and define us, then the, usually the unconscious and the conscious will, will not be in harmony. So the more we start to become more synchronized with ourselves, the more we start to be a more complete person and, and kind of shed the, the shackles of, of insecurity, the more that there is a, a harmony between the unconscious and the conscious, and the less we're contaminated by those, uh, those thoughts that come up and, and really disrupt our, our normal flow day to day. That's awesome. That's that's uh, listen. Even in grad school, I never got that. That that was awesome, absolutely awesome right there. Do you realize that we've been on for almost an hour talking about this? It, this has oh, been this has been awesome. I've had a blast with you. Uh, it's a shame that it has to end. I've also had a blast. Go on another two hours. I I could I could be talking about this forever with you. And you know what? I'm going to ask you uh, if you would come back and we could talk more about this. Oh, in a heartbeat. I'd love to. Great um, interview. Very, 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 very helpful to uh, be able to articulate with someone like yourself. Thank you so much. Will you do me one, uh, do kind of a one minute, why mind talk, right, which is our self-coaching. Give me just a one minute brief why mind talk is so powerful and beneficial. Can you do that? Sure. The most important thing is to realize that, let's call it, two, I call it uh, active brain, passive brain, or active mind passive mind. When we are ruled by insecurity, when we are neurotically driven, when we are worried uh, and just distressed and we cannot take the reins and steer our lives in any formative direction, that is because we have become passive, passive mind. We are in the back seat, insecurity in the front seat. It's steering us through our thoughts and we sit back and look at those thoughts as if they are sacrosanct. We don't realize that we are not our thoughts. Those thoughts are the habituated patterns of insecurity. Our conscious mind, active mind, can now say, wait a second, give me that steering wheel. And we separate, we differentiate between facts and insecurity-driven fictions. We begin to put a stop to it, and we actively begin to use the awesome power of consciousness, which is more powerful than the unconscious and the less than conscious. It is the most powerful weapon we have. If we focus like a laser beam, that, that laser of consciousness onto any effort, it will prevail. His name is Dr. Joseph Luciani. And the book is called Unlearning Anxiety and Depression. It is the four-step self-coaching program to reclaim your life. It is brilliant. It is fantastic. Buy it. Buy it not just for yourself. Buy it for a friend. 
seriously, I, I cannot be more sincere than to say, would you get this book for somebody that you know and love? And Please. for any neurotic person, get two books in case you lose one. <laughs> That's fantastic. Folks, you know what? That's the show. You know what I say every week, right? Be inspired because when you're inspired, that means you'll inspire other people. And that means when they're inspired, they in turn can inspire others. That can make this world just a simply great place. I am going to be back with another great guest, another great book, and it's going to be another great show. And as I say to you every week, you know what it is. Ciao, everybody. And the answers don't make sense You've got to keep your hope alive You've got to know you can survive This is your time to find A new direction, a brand new day A new direction, things are gonna change Dreams will take